or Health's Sake, a simple chat for better health. I'm your host, Donna Karras. I'm here with a panel from Programs for Change to talk about substance use and uncomfortable emotions. Hi, my name is Pete Van Duzart. I'm the Director of Valley Behavioral Health for Health Partners, and I'm the supervisor for Programs for Change, our substance use disorder treatment programs. Uh, hello, I'm Brian Bartlett. I'm the manager of Programs for Change at Hudson Hospital and Westfields Hospital. Hi, I'm Brian Francis, and I'm the manager at Amory Hospital and Clinic Programs for Change. Is it common for people to use substances to cope with emotions? Yeah, that's a really core and important question. And I want to talk a little bit about what do we mean by moods and emotions and a term we used to use, mood-altering chemicals or mood-altering drugs. There is sometimes a misunderstanding that people who get involved in addiction are seeking this very intense high or to get very intoxicated and that that's what becomes addicting. When in truth, we all have daily normal kinds of moods and emotions that really make up our daily experience, our feeling of life satisfaction, you know, what kind of mood we're in. But more important than that, these are core moods and emotions. When I say core moods and emotions, I mean things like what are our feelings of reward for getting things done? What moods and emotions drive our motivations about what we're uh, trying to accomplish or, or we're seeking, but also just a daily sense of happiness and well-being or moods and emotions related to feelings of self-worth. And then also our ability to cope with stress and difficulty even things like frustration tolerance, how quickly do we get frustrated and become intolerant? So this overall sense of life satisfaction and even things as simple as how we relax and have fun. Now, everybody has all of those moods and emotions. My point is that substance use can become woven into that experience and how we experience those moods and emotions and how we deal with the difficulties of those moods and emotions. So when somebody drinks alcohol, if their stress tolerance is really low or they're irritated by everything and their drinking alcohol seems to calm that or make them less likely to react, then that can be reinforcing. And similarly, if they have feelings of low self-esteem and just aren't feeling good about themselves and they smoke marijuana, say, and all of a sudden that they feel less uncomfortable with themselves. These are all examples of how substance use then affects the kinds of core moods and emotions that all people experience. And over time, that could turn into a problem because if there's an association between those uncomfortable feelings or that sense of not feeling good about my day, not feeling good about my life, or not feeling good about myself, and over time, you repeatedly reach for those substances to address those feelings, that can turn into a habit. And even more so, over time, that can turn into something that becomes a compulsion. And that's where addiction comes from. So again, the key is, what is the role of substance use in that overall sense of well-being, day-to-day, hour-to-hour in a person's life? Can some people do this without it becoming a problem? They can. As Pete mentioned, it, it's a matter of repetition. Here in our part of the world, of course, alcohol use is very common. And I think I'd be pretty safe in saying that uh, most adults who have had 
more than a few occasions of using something like alcohol have had a drink after a stressful day or to celebrate like a wedding or graduation or different things like that. That's, of course, very closely tied to the culture here in Wisconsin. If that happens once or twice or a few times, it's unlikely that it's going to cause problems for a person. However, if it becomes, as Pete was talking about, one of the main ways that a person will use to feel better about themselves or about their life circumstances or other things, that's when it starts to become a problem. So early on, people can use a substance occasionally to manage how they feel without it becoming a problem. But with enough repetitions, enough times doing that, they're starting down the road of developing ongoing issues. How do we know if it's becoming a problem? As Brian was saying, it starts as repetition continues. A person will start relying on the substance to manage or shift their mood and emotions. And there's really two main indicators that we would look for for developing into substance dependence, and that's compulsion or loss of control of the substance. And the other one is creating some type of life interference or uh, consequences in different areas of their life. It could be things such as they're drinking more than they planned on drinking. It's just unpredictable what's going to happen once they start. Maybe a person realizes it's getting to be too much. They try to cut back, try to reduce it, try to quit, and they're unable to do so. The person starts spending less time doing activities they normally would do, and their tolerance starts growing because they're relying on the substance. They're needing more of the drug to feel the same effect. And then it can start causing problems with relationships, tension and marriages, or with their kids at work. It can lead to increased mental health problems. And part of that is because the person didn't develop alternative coping skills. They're leaning solely on the substance. It can lead to health problems, legal problems, financial problems. And so once some of these things start popping up, these are pretty good indicators that this has gone from beyond social use to it's developing into a problem. If we're in recovery from an addiction, how do we cope with these emotions? That's a big question. A lot of our, our program services are revolving around answering that question. And it's an important one, obviously. And so I'd like to talk about one of the ways that we try and help people learn to cope with these different emotions. And it's it's something that many of the people who are listening might have heard of before, and that's called mindfulness. And mindfulness is, in brief, it's the way of being here, wherever here is, on purpose, intentionally. So not only is my body present doing this podcast, but my mind is engaged. I'm I'm paying attention to what's being said by the other panelists, uh, Donna, your questions. And I'm not thinking about what I got to do after this, or I'm not thinking about what I should have done before I left the house today, things like that. And so this is the opposite of substance use problems, which one way to understand them is that they are avoidance behaviors, is that I'm using a substance to avoid those uncomfortable, painful mood and emotion. And so by it being mindful, not only am I aware of it, but if I can go one step further and begin to accept that at this moment, I feel sad or I feel anxious or I feel angry or frustrated or stressed out or overwhelmed or any of the other emotions that people don't particularly care to feel. If I can accept that, now I can do something that will work for me as opposed to becoming more destructive. I can choose to reach out to somebody who's important to me and talk about how I'm feeling. I can choose to do some deep breathing or a relaxation exercise. I can choose to go pet my puppy and get some uh, snuggles in that way. I can choose to go for a walk. I can choose to do something that will allow me to experience that emotion without causing additional problems for me. 
And I just want to acknowledge, say this like this is an easy thing to do. Of course, it's challenging for all of us. Every human on the planet has some ways that they avoid discomfort and uncomfortable internal experiences. But the more that we can help our clients and everybody who's listening to this podcast be where they are, be mindful and accept that life is as it is, then they can begin to act in new, healthier ways that fall in line with the things that are most important to them. I want to add on that intervention that we use. Another tool we use is called cognitive behavioral therapy. I want to follow up with what Brian said about this isn't easy. This takes a lot of repetition, not just quitting the drug, quit using the drug as a starting point, but this is doing completely different patterns that people haven't done their entire life. So it takes a lot of practice and repetition as well. With cognitive behavioral therapy, it's a type of therapy and the process is helping a person change their thinking, which in turn is gonna change their mood and also their behavior. One of the ideas behind this is that it's not so much the external event that's creating their mood, but it's their thought or their interpretation of this event, which is creating their mood. So the intervention therefore is we wanna help a person identify this negative thought pattern and help them change their thinking, interpretation or perspective of the event. So in identifying the negative thought pattern, it could be things like blaming, judging, black or white thinking, magnifying events worse than they are, minimizing the positive things, kind of a mental filter, just not thinking of any of the positive, only focusing on the negative, or just making assumptions about other people, making assumptions about the future. Once that person can identify those thought distortions or negative thought patterns, then what we want to help them do is develop different strategies to help challenge some of these thought distortions, such as where's my evidence? How do I know that this is going to be true? Am I blaming myself unnecessarily? Am I blaming others too necessarily? Is there some place that I can make myself accountable so I can change? Am I making an overgeneralization? When's the time that this wasn't true? So again, these are thought patterns that people have had for years, decades, maybe their entire life. So just going through a simple lecture and explaining this is not going to change it. Then it takes repetition, practice, and eventually this becomes a new automatic. This becomes a new way of dealing with a difficult emotion rather than a difficult event comes up and the automatic response is to turn to drugs or alcohol to turn it off. Eventually, they get into a habit of using some of these skills to manage their mood and emotions, not being craving the substance. If we think we have a problem, what are the first steps we should take? This is Pete again. I just wanted to add what Brian Bartlett and Brian Francis were talking about, that this recovery process, it's more like going into training right? It's not just learning something new or figuring something out. As they were saying, it's practicing these techniques. And so it's about being coached. It's about being encouraged. It's about being supported. It's about practicing these things. But the bottom line is what we're talking about is a health problem. When people have this maladaptive or this pathological way of coping with things or reacting to things, that becomes very, very unhealthy. And that's what substance use disorder is. It's a health problem. It becomes so unhealthy that it affects their body, affects their mental health over a long period of time. And therefore, reaching out and getting help should be considered, I need help getting healthier. And what I mean by that is you reach out into healthcare. You can look for a place to get an assessment. Has my drinking become a problem in this way? Or my substance use a problem? But you can also just talk to your family doctor, your primary care physician, say, you know, I'm not sure how much of a problem this is, but it seems pretty unhealthy. What do I do about this? Because here in healthcare, we know how to 
connect people to the right resources and get people started on identifying the problem, figuring out how big of a problem it is, and then figuring out what interventions will be helpful. So at Programs for Change, there are many pathways to a program like ours where people could get help. You could start with your primary care doctor. You could call us directly. You could call your insurance on the back of your insurance card and say, what kind of services are there for me to try to address this? All of those will lead to the kinds of services that we have that can assess the problem and then make a plan for treatment and recovery. It sounds like, from what you're saying, these seem like simple methods to help you change your thought processes, but you need a coach or a therapist to help guide you on how to do it. Yeah, and it's interesting you should say that. We like that we're able to explain this in a simple way so that it's understandable, but putting it into practice and, as Brian Francis said, having it become your typical or usual or automatic go-to way of coping with things, that's a whole other story. You can teach someone the breaststroke. There's only a few moves in it, but getting good at it is a whole other thing. And so it's not only the coaching, it's the support. It's also people around you identifying when is it turning south again? When is it going negative? And how do you stop that and get it back on track? That's why a lot of our services include groups because groups are the best at being able to see these kinds of patterns in each other and to support each other and encourage each other, those kinds of things. So yeah, it's a lot more like a training program. And I would like to add that out of the three of us here, I'm the only one that's not an actual sports coach. Both of these guys had a long history in being coaches. And I think the analogy is very apropos. That's what we do. We coach and encourage people. Well, this is great information. Thank you so much. Thanks, Donna. Thanks for listening. These podcasts are a publication of Amory Hospital and Clinic, Hudson Hospital and Clinic, Health Partners Clinic, Stillwater, Lakeview Hospital, and Westfields Hospital and Clinic. All are part of a nonprofit healthcare organization committed to enhancing community health.